Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a stall in progress toward reducing smoking in the state, and local experts offer an in-depth look at cancer and its impact on Minnesotans. But first... The ongoing partial shutdown of the federal government is starting to affect the state budget, and MNN's Bill Werner is here to give us an update on how Minnesota lawmakers are grappling with it. Scott, the ramifications of the federal shutdown are one of the closest blips on the radar screen of Governor Tim Walz. The dysfunction of the federal government, if they're not going to lead on this, we will. State Management and Budget Commissioner Myron Franz told a Minnesota House committee this week the state is in uncharted territory. Literally every day the risk grows that we're going to expend money and not get reimbursed. So how long can we do that? At what point do we do that? How many dollars? How many people do we help? Which people do we help? Uh, which programs do we try to support? Human Services Commissioner Tony Laurie told Minnesotans this week the food stamp program will soon have a funding problem if the federal shutdown continues. SNAP is going to be the, the supplemental nutrition assistance program is going to be the first uh, to be uh, harmed by this uh, partial federal shutdown. This is 400,000 Minnesotans, over 70 percent of whom are either elderly, uh, disabled, or children. Um, and uh, the feds did put up money for February. Okay, so we're not hitting that yet. There are some uh, very real logistical challenges in getting that accomplished, and the cards are going to be um, filled at uh, about January 20th. And so people are going to be running out of their assistance earlier in February than um, anticipated. But what we're, when we're going to need to step in is around the 1st of March. And it is about a 42 to $40 million monthly expenditure. Again, 400,000 Minnesotans, about $110 per month um, for these uh, elderly, the children, disabled, all across the state, split almost evenly between urban and rural. I mean, think about the widower in Thief River Falls or Hutchinson or Minneapolis or St. Paul that, um, you know, uh, you can't survive on her uh, Social Security. Um, you know, these are the recipients of SNAP, and uh, food can't wait. You know, you run out of food, 2 o'clock in the afternoon it starts getting real. Religious leaders joined the governor and top officials at the Capitol to express their concern, Archbishop Bernard Hebda. I think it's inspiring to see so many religious leaders here from so many different traditions. And that really gives evidence to the importance of this question and, and making sure that we're caring uh, for those who are most vulnerable, as we've heard. Obviously, listening to our great uh, policy leaders, we recognize that we're at the very beginning of this analysis, and it's going to take time. I certainly wanted to be supportive of this this morning because of the, uh, the modeling that takes place as we call together people with different views, uh, the bipartisan nature of this gathering, and that desire to put aside some of those uh, partisan politics uh, to really address problems that are going to have a concrete impact in the lives of families. I certainly wish that, uh, that the Archdiocese or any of our religious organizations had the resources to be able to fix this. We can't. But we know that as we come together, as we support our, those who represent us in government, uh, that we have the opportunity to have an impact. That's Archbishop Bernard Hebda. And the Reverend Paul Slack with New Creation Church in Minneapolis did not mince words. Political grandstanding at the expense of our most vulnerable is always a problem and must cease 
at whatever level we're talking about. Caring for those, and we've heard it from both sides of the aisle, caring from those who are most needed must be put first now and always. Getting rid of the gridlock to do that, to provide that function, is what all of us must do, whether elected officials, faith leaders. That's always what we're going to appeal for. What I hear uh, frequently in these situations as well, uh, what I heard one of the other clergy talk about, is that, well, can't the church take care of all of these needs? Food shelves and the like help. They're never the solution to our problems, ever. Are we thankful for them? Do we wish that there'd be more food all of the time, not just during the holidays? Yes, we do. But the real answer to all of our problems is us as a whole, faith leaders and clergy working together to mitigate our problems and then solve them across the board. That's what I'm hoping for uh, from this governor. That's what I'm hoping for from all these elected officials, to get rid of the gridlock, figure out how to work better together, and truly accomplish the vision of one Minnesota. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka says he's open to the state stepping in to temporarily plug any gap in food stamps, but with one key requirement. Would we get reimbursed from the federal government if we step, in, step up and do things early? That's what the governor told me. He's trying to find out. Um, and if, we, if that is a, an assurance, then I'm open. Okay, that's the key thing, though, yeah. is reimbursability. Yep. Meanwhile, State Republican Party Chair Jennifer Carnahan said Democratic Governor Walls is not listening to Minnesotans who are calling on their elected officials to secure our border. Carnahan says it's time for Walls to tell Democratic friends in Washington to, quote, come back to the table and stop putting our national security at risk. Walls responded it's fine if policymakers want to debate a border wall. But he says, don't jeopardize food stamps and other programs. People's health care and their well-being is not leverage. It's real. And the governor said this week at a forum with legislative leaders that a criminal background check should be required when anyone sells a gun to someone they don't know. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd argued there's no gun show loophole because dealers at such events are required to do background checks. The governor countered, what about non-dealers who sell there? It would be purchasing of a firearm at a gun show without a background check. You can also purchase that firearm from that individual outside of a gun show. The gun show has nothing to do with it. Are you advocating expanding that further then outside the gun show? No, our our caucus actually brought a bill last year uh, that would have offered liability protections to someone who went and got a background check on a private party sale. Scott, it is safe to say that gun laws will be a key issue in this legislative session just as they were in the last. How much changes, though, remains to be seen. Thank you for that update, Bill. We'll be back with more Minnesota Matters after this. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A couple of high-profile issues garnered a lot of attention at the state capitol this week. First, a press conference Wednesday from the group Smart Approaches to Marijuana Minnesota, which opposes the legalization of recreational marijuana in Minnesota, started normally enough. We are launching today through this press conference, Salmon, whose mission is to educate the citizens of Minnesota on the research and science of marijuana usage with a scientific understanding of marijuana's harms and potential as medicine. Our public health position is that the current science does not support the commercialization and normalization of recreational marijuana. As salmon, we are not opposed to the state's medical marijuana law. In fact, we see this as one of the best in the country. We are also not opposed to the decriminalization of marijuana. We do not think that marijuana should be a Schedule One drug. But the press conference eventually erupted into chaos when pro-legalization advocates in the crowd began interrupting the speakers. I'm not coming with the numbers that I represent. No, I'm not. Stop coming with liars. No, because the numbers that we represent are, are science. Would you like to? Would you like to look at the science? One of Wednesday's speakers, Dakota County Attorney James Backstrom, announced his strong opposition to legalization. Make no doubt about it. The legalization of marijuana in Minnesota will result in many more traffic deaths and injuries than occur today. Is that what we want in our state? But John Thompson, a friend of Philando Castile, questioned Backstrom's motives. You will bring them here to try to tell us that they're not criminalizing marijuana when they're criminalizing us for being black in Dakota County. Sandy Melville's son was killed by an impaired driver in 2010, and she opposes legalization. Melville was heckled by pro-legalization advocates at the news conference. Legalizing recreational marijuana will likely cause a huge increase in DUI arrests. If you want to stand up here and talk, I will be respectful of you. Please keep your mouth shut. It was apparent almost from the start there's almost no agreement from the opposing sides, and that includes whether or not pot has proven to lead users to harder drugs. Again, Dakota County Attorney James Backstrom. Marijuana is a gateway drug for many to the use of other illegal drugs like methamphetamine, heroin, and cocaine. But Marcus Harkis with the Minnesota Campaign for Full Legalization disagrees and argued, Cannabis is ironically a life-saving exit drug for countless people, not a so-called gateway drug. I mean, that's been debunked by science for years. One advocate for legalization stood up and made this impassioned plea. Remove law enforcement from our personal I want to be healthy. I can make decisions about my health. I do not need the FDA or the DEA or police officers making decisions about my personal health. This is America. We have the right to personal choices. Governor Tim Walz weighed in on the debate and said legalizing marijuana for recreational use, quote, should happen as fast as Minnesotans are comfortable we're doing the right thing. But Wall stresses he's not diminishing opponents' concerns. I certainly 
don't want to rush to the point where people feel like you didn't talk about you know public safety, you didn't talk about long-term addiction, you didn't talk about societal costs. We need to make sure that those are all addressed and people feel comfortable. Wall says if there's satisfaction that the pros and cons have been discussed and all alternatives explored, then, quote, we should go ahead and start moving to make recreational marijuana legal in Minnesota. Advocates on both sides of the issue say they plan to have their voices heard at the state capitol throughout the session as lawmakers consider whether to move forward with legalization. Also this week, a bipartisan group of state lawmakers introduced legislation that would ban the use of cell phones when behind the wheel unless the devices are in hands-free mode. Similar legislation stalled last session, but DFL Representative Frank Hornstein of Minneapolis said, We are united and determined to make 2019 the year that Minnesota becomes the 17th state to pass a hands-free cell phone law. Hornstein says the change isn't about restricting liberties, it's about public safety. Distracted driving is the fastest growing cause of road accidents in Minnesota. And this epidemic claimed 59 lives in 2017 and caused 223 serious injuries. GOP Senator Scott Newman of Hutchinson agreed that now is the time for change because... I can't think of any other aspect of distracted driving that is as universally abused as having a cell phone in your hand and driving an automobile. It seems to me to be comparable to what drunk driving was in the 20th century. We are now dealing with uh, cell phones in the 21st century. In addition to the hands-free proposal, Republican Senator David Osmek of Mound is backing a bill that would increase the penalty for drivers using a cell phone and causing a crash that results in injury or death. Does this solve every problem with distracted driving? No. Would I rather go after the person who's digging for the last Cheeto at the bottom of the bag and injuring someone or yelling at the kids in the back seat and hitting someone? Yes, I would. But I can't get that done. You have to get done what you can get done. The bill also would increase a fine for texting while driving from $50 to $150 for a first offense, second offense $250, third offense $500, and the impounding of a cell phone. Joining lawmakers this week to make the case for legislation cracking down on distracted driving was V.J. Dixit. Dixit's daughter was killed by a distracted driver in 2007. She got a ride coming home from University of Madison. She was 19 years old, and we lost her six weeks after celebrating her 19th birthday in Madison, and that's the last time I saw her. Dixit says tougher distracted driving laws will benefit everyone. Don't give an excuse. Oh, I'm a very great driver. I don't get hit. I don't hit anyone. No. You will get hit. And I'm not giving you as a threat, but I don't think there is anyone who would like to stand like this in four or five years and talk about their loved one who was lost to a distracted driver. At this early point in the legislative session, it does appear that momentum is swinging in the direction of change. But there's still plenty of session left, and we'll just have to wait and see if indeed 2019 is the year for change when it comes to legalizing recreational marijuana and cracking down on distracted driving. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Findings from the latest Minnesota Adult Tobacco Survey show that the state's progress in reducing smoking has stalled. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. 
That's right, Scott. Minnesota has long been a leader in tobacco prevention and cessation, but we are seeing that progress slow. Joining me to dig into the latest survey results is Mike Sheldon with Clearway, Minnesota. Yeah, so what, that is what we're seeing. I mean, uh, so our, our progress has stalled a little bit in driving down the smoking rate overall in our state. And I think, you know, part of that is it's just a, a good reminder that uh, we're up against, you know, an addiction and uh, as well as that an industry that still spends uh, more than $100 million every year marketing their product very aggressively throughout our state. So, you know, this is something that needs to remain a public health priority. And when we're talking about uh, these numbers, uh, is this does this include e-cigarettes or is this the traditional tobacco cigarettes? So the overall smoking rate just includes traditional uh, tobacco cigarettes. Uh, and so that rate in Minnesota is about 13.8% of all adult Minnesotans, so approximately 574,000 adults. Uh, we did also ask about e-cigarette use. Uh, And that rate has overall, anyway, uh, remained pretty similar to the last time we did this study. Uh, So it's about 6%, uh, again, overall of Minnesota adults who are using e-cigarettes. What we did find, however, was that among young adults, so 18 to 24-year-olds, the rate of e-cigarette use nearly doubled since 2014. And then when we talk about folks uh, making attempts to quit, how are we looking there? Uh, So really what we're looking at is people who have... uh, basically quit for at least 24 hours within uh, the past uh, the past year. Uh, and we asked uh, people, uh, especially what methods were they using to, to help them quit and, uh, and if they were successful within that. And then another thing, too, that kind of stuck out uh, to me was the use of menthol cigarettes. And it's looking like uh, more women and females, I guess, are smoking menthols. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, we've known for uh, a while, and unfortunately the tobacco industry has known for a while about the appeal of, of menthol cigarettes, and it's something that they have uh, long marketed both to, to women as well as to uh, other communities as well, especially the African-American community, the LGBT community. Uh, and, you know, the the issue with menthol is that the you know, essentially the cooling sensation of menthol unfortunately makes it that much easier to smoke and unfortunately that much easier to become addicted it also makes it harder to quit and so we'd like to you know continue to look at menthol and and see that menthol uh, cigarettes are regulated like any flavored tobacco product this too shocked me um minnesotans value smoke-free air even even uh, folks that that smoke can you tell us a little bit about that yeah and we've seen this you know increase throughout uh, all of the years that we've been doing this this survey but um, basically, Minnesotans who make their homes smoke-free is up near you know, 92% uh, of all Minnesotans. Uh, and even among smokers themselves, we're up above uh, 65% of smokers who have a smoke-free home. I think this is really just uh, you know, certainly a testament to the education around the dangers of, of secondhand smoke. Um, but also just uh, you know the the overall campaigns that uh, you know Clearway and, and other organizations have had in terms of that that education around this. Um, but it also is, is a testament to the the strong smoke-free laws that we have in our state, and that you know smoking is not allowed in in public indoor spaces as well. And you know, speaking of laws, uh, um, are you folks going to continue to push for Tobacco Twenty One? You know, that's certainly a priority. Uh, There are a number of Minnesota cities and communities that have already raised the tobacco age to 21, and it's one that we'd like to see go statewide. Uh, Unfortunately, nearly all smokers start before they're 21.
And not, you know, to be a pessimist, but, you know, over the last several years, Minnesota has really made uh, some huge strides and improvements to reducing tobacco use. So was this latest survey a little disappointing? Well, I think it just shows that there's more work to be done and that, you know, we know that it's kind of this this comprehensive approach, uh, especially when it comes to policy. So things like having strong uh, indoor smoke-free laws, uh, having access to cessation services uh, and, and free support to help people quit, uh, having, uh, you know, strong youth access laws, uh, having, um, you know, raising the, the price of tobacco. Uh, all of these policies kind of work in conjunction. And really, you know, even the price piece of it is a, is a big part of that. And all of those things can help drive down the smoking rate. And, you know, too, uh, going back to e-cigarettes, and it, it this statistic kind of blew me away, uh, or finding is that um, a number of people who are smoking e-cigarettes have really never smoked before any other, whether it be device or tobacco. Is that right? Yeah. So we we looked at the kind of the, the smoking status of people who had used e-cigarettes uh, over the past year, and so what we're looking at is you know for, so for people who are current e-cigarette users, have they ever smoked you know cigarettes or, or other tobacco products? Uh, and we saw a big increase uh, in the survey in people who had never smoked and are using e-cigarettes. So, I mean, for those people at least, I mean, they're not, they wouldn't be using e-cigarettes to quit. And, you know, they were worried about kind of a new generation of people hooked on, on nicotine, essentially. Uh, and we don't know what the long-term health effects of e-cigarettes are. So, you know, we're not uh, encouraging people to take up e-cigarettes. Uh, and um, we certainly don't want youth to be using e-cigarettes. Thanks again to my guest, Mike Sheldon, with Clearway, Minnesota. And just a reminder, the full report and fact sheet are available at Clearway, Minnesota's website. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The latest numbers compiled by the American Cancer Society say the nationwide rate of death from cancer has steadily dropped since it hit peak levels in the early 1990s. Reporter J.W. Cox spoke with cancer experts in Minnesota to get the full picture of the numbers and where Minnesota fits in the trend. Fewer Americans are dying from the second biggest killer in the U.S., Cancer. According to a study by the American Cancer Society, death from cancer dropped steadily for 25 straight years. When the new study hit the news cycle nationwide, it was met with unbounded positivity. And Matt Flory with the American Cancer Society Minnesota says while there's still plenty of fighting to do against cancer, excitement is a good place to start. We're really 
excited because we see a 27% drop, uh, 2.6 million people that didn't find out that they were going to die from cancer. We're just excited to see that, that not only we're making progress, but that that progress has continued across a 25-year span. The study notes, importantly, that the numbers represent a drop in the cancer death rate from its peak levels in 1991. That year, there were 215 deaths per 100,000 people. Fast forward to 2016, the latest full calendar year data available, and there were 156 deaths per 100,000 people. Flory says there are several factors that led to that decrease in fatalities. There's really a mix, and some of it really uh, we can attribute to people not smoking uh, and other cancer prevention uh, activities like eating better, exercising more, uh, certainly early detection uh, for screenable cancers like colon cancer and breast cancer, are helping us catch cancers earlier where they're more treatable, and then advances in treatment. So we really believe it's a mix of those things, uh, prevention, early detection, and treatment that are helping us get these better outcomes. Overall, experts note fewer deaths from lung, breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers do create the bulk of the positive trend. As for locally, Flory says Minnesota's death rate from cancer, while not exactly the same as nationwide trends, does have similar positives. We are seeing very similar uh, declines in the general population. Uh, We continue to be concerned about the fact that not everybody benefits equally from this trend. So we are still seeing some disparities uh, in communities of color or low-income communities that have greater cancer burdens. Uh, Maybe folks are less likely to get into the doctor and get those early screenings. Uh, Maybe they're they're just in a situation where it's harder to exercise or where they're uh, finding it harder to quit smoking. Uh, and, And those do concern us. Even as the positive excitement of this study's release is fresh in our minds, experts say nationwide there will still be over 1.7 million new cancer cases and over 600,000 cancer deaths in the U.S. this year. Flory says with that in mind, no one, including us here at home, can afford to get complacent. We do in Minnesota see a a few different differences. We're concerned uh, nationally as well as in Minnesota about head and neck cancers that are connected to the HPV virus. Uh, And Minnesota really is not a leader uh, in HPV vaccination, especially among adolescents. Uh, And that's a vaccine that can help us beat six different cancers. But really, only one of those, cervical cancer, has a screening. So five of those six cancers uh, could largely be prevented uh, with a vaccine. And fewer than half of adolescent boys and girls have that vaccine in Minnesota. So that's something we're really uh, continuing to track. With the advances in technology, screenings can be effective tools in guarding against a fatal cancer diagnosis. Flory says we need to keep this study in front of our minds, both for its encouraging findings and for ways to keep improving the fight. There's a couple of good, good things here. I mean, what we're seeing is that there's some real hope and vision for folks um, if we can get people uh, to not just be aware, but to make sure that they make uh, their regular appointments with their physicians. We b- really believe that early detection uh, is, is a key here uh, and that most people who get screened are people that go to a doctor regularly, that get a recommendation from their doctor to get screened and follow through with it. And that's how we catch so many of these cancers in early treatable phases. Uh, that's also one of the best ways for people uh, who, wanna, who currently smoke and want to quit smoking to quit, uh, is to do it in, uh, in consultation or with advice from their physician. Uh, so, you know, t- to make sure that everybody can have that equal chance to prevent cancer or to, or to catch it early when it's easier to beat. We want to make sure people have access to a doctor, that they take advantage of access if they have it, uh, develop a relationship with a physician. So, uh, you know, they're looking for cancer when they, when they don't see symptoms. And if there's anything 
um, unusual that they're not afraid to bring that up with their doctor. At least early on, Flory says, the fight against cancer often comes down to each individual, and knowing where to start as a lone individual can be overwhelming. That's where he says the Cancer Society for Minnesota can be an excellent jumping-off point. If they have any questions about cancer, call the American Cancer Society at 1-800-227-2345 or uh, to visit our website at www.cancer.org. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.